never get back. Let me root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. It's one, two, three, such you out at the ball game. Yo! The Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Welcome on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, most readily on InsideOfBaseball.com. Head on over to InsideOfBaseball.com and they practically throw this podcast right at you on the site. It's the first thing you hear. So you can check it out there and you can check out past episodes as well. If you're just finding us here, by all means, please check out the past episodes. They're all good. We're all talking about, and I'm here with Skylar Dombrowski. I'm Lou Blassie from Fantastics and InsideOfBaseball.com. And Skylar, they're all good here for the preseason, which I was just joking might lead into June at this point. <laughs> yeah, second five-month preseason in uh, three years. Yeah, well, that was seven months the last preseason, wasn't it? I don't, I don't know. It's, it I think it was like three seven years. years. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're prepared for this, and we do what we normally do at Fantastics here on the podcast and on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio on uh, Saturdays and Sundays, 11 to 1, and we'll look at an indicator or we're looking at how we break down players and trying to figure out what it means for this player for 2022 um so that, that's what we're going to do here and it's all good it's all the stats from last year so go back and find the past episodes and you'll find some uh, some fun and some good information as you head into your early drafts here head on over to insideofbaseball.com it's free to non-subscribers these podcasts are free to non-subscribers and again you can get them on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and subscribe there if you can because we're not working on a regular schedule so you'll know when a new episode drops kind of doing it as we're feeling it here and as we get excited and as we have more information so uh, make sure you subscribe so you know when our new uh New podcasts are out on InsideOfBaseball.com. Not only do you get our podcast, you get samples of our daily notes. And they're really good to go back on now, especially the ones in late September and early October, because it's basically doing what we're doing now, looking what happened last year and trying to figure out what it means for uh, 2022. Some great analytics articles with Michael Waldo and Anthony Perry and all of our writers do some great analytics work. So if you're if you, you want to spend this preseason getting your analytics game up and your metrics game up, this is the place to do it. Go on over to InsideOfBaseball.com, read some of those articles, tell you how we approach some of these things as we're going to do today. Of course, there's a free demo of the Draft Advisory Program. Go ahead and check that out as well. Free demo is fully functional with a lot of projections from our first set of projections. Already been several updates on the software, uh, but we give you our first set of projections and you can set up your league and your parameters and see how it changes the rankings. Plus you can play with the God, Skylar, hundreds of great features on there. Just sit down oh, yeah. and play with it. Yeah, so go yeah. check it out. Um, and again, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Saturdays and Sundays from 11 to 1. Today we're going to talk about Skylar approach in hitters, and we talk about it a lot on the show. And so why don't you give your definition, or uh, when I say approach for hitters, what are we looking at? Well, I think we talked a little bit about this last week, where there's sort of three things, primary things that you're looking for for a hitter to be good, to be a, a quality bat. And the first thing is the ability to discern a ball from a strike. So you look at things like chase rate, swing percentage, etc. Then you want them to be able to actually make contact with the, pit, the pitches that they deem able to be swung at. So you're looking at contact rate, swing strike percentage, things like that. And then thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, you want them to be able to do damage to those pitches when they when they make contact. So you're looking at launch angle, exit velocity, barrel percentage, and things like that. So it's sort of a, a hierarchy of can they figure out what a strike is? Can they make contact with said strike? And then can they do some damage with it? And one of the things I'll add here, because we talk about it a lot as well, that's how we look at a hitter in terms of the quality of his approach. But I also like to look at change of approach. I like to identify hitters that something's going on that they're just uh, they're ap approaching, for lack of a better word, approaching their bats a little bit differently. And I'll go back to the poster child uh, for a little bit, Skylar, which was... Um, Christian Yelich, who we talked about for years here when he was in Miami, and we were just looking for more power, looking for more power, because we looked at his approach on that point. He was a very controlled guy. He had a sub-10% swinging strike percentage, often significantly sub-10%, didn't chase, was sub-25% on chase most of the time. And we were looking at uh, exit velocities and launch angles of uh, when launch angle started in 2015, his first launch angle was 0.2 degrees, and it, then it was 2.7 and 4.7 and 5.0. And we were talking about this all the time in Miami. It's like all he needs to do is decide he wants to be a power hitter because at the time he was hitting low in the order. Giancarlo Stanton was on the team. Uh, the team had a different lineup, and they weren't looking for him 
to be a middle of the order producer. They were looking for him to be a contact guy. And you know what? That's what he was doing. He mm-hmm. starts to get, he starts to get to Milwaukee and he hits, uh, he hits 18 home runs in his last year in Miami in uh, 602 at bats. But then in Milwaukee, he broke out with 36 homers. Well, mm-hmm. exit velocity went up to 92.6, but here's the thing that we started to look at and we saw that this was strictly a change of approach in him. He didn't learn anything. He just decided he was going to hit for power, which is what we said he would do. His barrel percentage went up to 12.2%. His launch angle only went up to five, but it went to 11.5 the next year when he hit 44 homers. But we saw a little bit more aggression. It was more swinging strike. There was a little bit more chase. And so that's what we talk about when we're talking about a change of approach with hitters. We could see that this was a conscious decision that Christian Yelich made to give up a little contact for power. Now, he's a quality hitter. He doesn't give up a lot of contact when he decides to do it. But he decided at the time, I need to I need to be a more of a middle-of-the-order producer. I need to be a different hitter. And you can see it in his approach, which is what we're looking for for players at different points in their career. It's definitely true. One of the, uh, one of the guys that I remember making this change and talking about it a lot was Justin Turner. Yeah. who at the beginning of his, of his career was very much a singles and doubles hitter for the Mets. And someone got in his ear in his first year in L.A. And all of a sudden his launch angles go up. Uh, he was he was sub 10, even though they didn't keep those stats uh, back in 2013 and earlier when he was with the Mets. And then when you first start seeing the stats come on, he's 14 in 2015 and then up in the 17 to 19 range since. And the ISO numbers went from down in the 060 to 125 range up to 200 plus. So these hitters, they figure this stuff out. They, they know what they have to do. Most of them know what they have to do to put up better stats. Um, but the trick is being talented enough to do it. And guys like Yelich and Justin Turner were talented enough to make those changes and become extremely productive hitters from much less productive hitters. And we're monitoring these changes in approach for different reasons. For example, we do it. You talked about Justin Turner, and even we talked about Christian Yelich. Uh, the Christian Yelich we were talking about is a 21-year-old, 22-year-old, 23-year-old, and he's in his first thousand at bats in the majors. He's a young player. We look at approach when we look at minor leaguers and see how they're handling changes in level and how they're uh, adapting to different types of pitching and how ready they might be for the majors and how well they might uh, make that adaptation in the majors. In other words, is this going to be a long haul? Are they going to struggle before they get acclimated in the majors? Or have they shown a history of being able to adjust to the new level of pitching? So with young hitters, we're looking at approach all the time because what happens, Sky, is at a certain point, and for me, I call it around 1,000 at-bats or 1,100 at-bats or 1,200 at-bats in the majors, somewhere in there, if you've had a year plus of regular playing time, in other words, you have your playing time, you're a major leaguer, and you believe you're a major leaguer. You know, it's not that the manager thinks you're a major leaguer, it's that you believe. Because what happens is when kids come up to the majors, they want to stay in the majors, so they become much more contact-centric. They're just putting the bat on the ball, they don't want to strike out, Strikeouts are are much less of a deal than they were five years ago or seven years ago, of course. But they don't want to strike out. They don't want to be sent back down. They want to put the ball in play, get on base, and keep their jobs in the majors. So they spend a a few at-bats doing that. But at a certain point, it's like, okay, I'm a major leaguer. I believe I'm a major leaguer. I don't have to look over my shoulder for playing time with every at-bat. If I strike out, I'm not going to be out of the lineup tomorrow. I'm comfortable. I can reach for a little bit more power. I can be more of the hitter that that I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking for with hitters. And, and like I said, the model, usually it's not always because sometimes guys come out of the gate and they're awesome. And sometimes guys never get it, but usually you get two years of playing time and you're in the 900,000, 1100 at bat range. Usually a light switch goes on and you see more of the hitter that they can be. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And it's not just that they are confident enough that they believe they're in the major, that they're in a major leaguer and belong there. But I think once they figure out that management understands that they belong there, like you said, knowing that you have that playing time and it's locked in, you go through an 0 for 20 slump, you're not heading back down. That's critical. And then also one thing that uh, there's a guy or two on the list that I think we'll want to talk about this a little bit. Um, you tend to get that last little physical maturity around age 25 or 26 which often coincides with that 1,000 to 1,250 at bat range that you talk about frequently, yep. where you just get that last little bit of, of 
man strength, basically. And a lot of those warning track fly balls suddenly are going over the fence the next year or two, and you pick up five or 10 homers just from some added muscle. Yeah. And you're also at that point where you're in the majors in terms of personal development. In other words, working out in the majors is a lot different than working out in the minors, especially working out as a 23-year-old and working out as a 25, 26, 27-year-old are two different things, especially with the veterans around the room and things like that. And you get that, you want to develop that extra last level of development as much as you possibly can. And of course, the major league team is right on top of you and has the facilities and has trainers right there. And like I said, the veterans are looking over your shoulder. So you, you can't screw around like you might do a little bit in the minor leagues. So that extra development, we're, we're also looking for that little extra bit of physical development as well. Physical development and the emotional development that I think you just alluded to right there, where you, you know how to work out, you know how to be the best you can be at your craft. In your first few years, you might be flailing a little bit, just trying to get by on talent. All right, let's look at the, uh, and the next thing is, uh, well, contract years and veteran players. And uh, we, we laughed about this last week. <laughs> Cynicism at its finest. <laughs> uh, on, on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. But I want to bring Marcelo Zuna up in this light because we've got him in St. Louis. And in his last year in St. Louis in 2019, which was a contract year, he went out and hit 29 homers. He only hit 241, but he hit 29 homers, uh, which, you know, got him a good size contract. And you can see a couple of instances where his approach change is something that was deliberate on in his case. His swinging strike percentage went up a little bit. Of course, it went a little bit more after that. Uh, chase rate was about the same. It didn't show up in plate discipline so much, but look at that pull percentage, 49.5%. Look at the uh, launch angle, 13.5%. This is a veteran hitter who decided to reach for more power because you know what? I got to sign a contract. Probably my last contract. My last he big did, contract, anyway. Well, he did in 19, in that offseason between 19 and 20, he signed what I thought might have been a mistake, where he signed a one-year prove-it deal with the Braves. Mm-hmm. And then in the, in the shortened season, the, the season that never was, um, he came out and just totally sold out for power, and all his luck stats went from very unlucky to very lucky in, yeah. that, in the 60 games in 2020. And he put up just an absolute monster of a season of a 60 game season for the Braves, 18 homers in 60 games hit 338 was just immense for them. Then signed the huge four year deal in that off season. And last year was a complete mess for him. Yeah. And you can see a little bit difference. The pull percentage went down. The aggression went down. He didn't chase as much. The swinging strike percentage went down. It's almost, and we speculated about in the show when we talked about him a, a week or so ago, you know, what is the story here? Is he just decided I have the contract now and I have to earn it a little bit more? I have to be more of a contract hitter. His luck stats went, you know, went totally south. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 2020 was such a lucky year for him, but 2021 was an extremely unlucky year for him. And it looked ugly because he was still reaching for power a little bit, but none of the power didn't come through. The batting average uh, hit the floor because of his 244 Babbitt. He was just very unlucky in that year. But so we have to decide what do we, we have to try to guess at what his approach is going to be in 2022. Well, I wouldn't be surprised to see something a little more like, oh, a combination of 2018 and 2019, where he's he's pretty good. I mean, last year was a mess for him personally, injury-wise, and performance-wise. So it was just kind of the trifecta of garbage. Um, so I would be hopeful that we'd see more from him, but you're not going to see anything like that 2020 ever again. That was just a perfect storm of, of luck and effort coming together. But he's not going to give up the power chase. He's going to look for a little bit of power. He's going to try to get in. He's capable, and he's going to try to get into the mid-20s with power, I would imagine. Yeah, I would think so. Um, I, I don't think you'll see that 50% pull percentage. That seemed to be totally selling out for power. 2020, he increased the fly ball rate a little bit, but the pull percentage came back by about 5%. He was just locked in. All 60 games, he was locked in. And that's the kind of stuff you're going to get in a shortened season where if that went on for another hundred games, he probably would not have been able to maintain that sort of pace. But through two months, pretty much anybody can stay hot. So developing players, contract years, role changes with and team changes, because often they come hand in hand. And often it's, uh, well, Bryce Hopper was the poster child exa- example of this, where you go to a new team with a big contract and you try to change a little bit about what you're going to do because you, A, you want to fit in with your new teammates, you want to impress your new teammates, and I'm putting it in basic terms. But when you go to a new team, we've seen it time and time again, especially when a player goes to a new team in the middle of the season. Yeah, you want to earn your keep. You want to you want to make book uh, with your new teammates. So you try and to the fan base. 
and, and the, the fan, fan base. base. Totally. Sure. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I think Harper was a classic example of that, just pressing almost. Yep. Yeah, because he had to earn the contract. All of a sudden, he was, you know, in Washington, he was a hot prospect uh, who there were other players on the team, and he was just fitting in. And for a while, he had to earn his bones with Washington, too. Mm-hmm. But when he came to Philadelphia, big contract, big expectations. He had to be the leader of the team, and he reached for it. And, yeah. you know, some guys don't adjust to that well the first time out, and that's that's perfectly fine. But everyone, when they, there's a role change on the team, we try to look at the approach to see if the guy has changed his approach and that explains the difference in performance uh, or whether it was just luck stats or whether, you know, who knows, physical maturity, things like that. But we're looking for approach to see if that's an answer to some of the questions from an odd performance the previous year. Right. Yep. And of course, the other thing we're looking for is age decline. And one of the things we look for with age decline is um, exit velocity, obviously. Uh, I know you have some other things, and I want you to talk about this again, too, about looking at age decline, because I think they're great, and I never do the homework to do them. So I'm glad, <laughs> glad that you do. But, <laughs> but in some of the indicators that we use on a day-to-day basis, with age decline, we're looking at exit velocity, we're looking at pull percentage, we're looking at swinging strike percentage and chase rate, and you're probably looking at contact rate, as a discussion we had. Um, and what's that telling us is if this player in his, at this particular point in time has to start cheating on pitchers, has to decide on the pitch a little bit earlier because he's gotten, he needs more time to get there. Yeah, it's definitely the case. We see it all the time. And there are a few other things and we'll, we'll touch on these a little bit on the list of players that we have today, but as far as aging goes, there are two other things that, well, three other things technically, um, that I look at that maybe a lot of people don't. And the first two you can group together is I will look at speed and defense numbers quite a bit because I think that they can be kind of harbingers of decline going forward. Uh, when a player is just a little bit less mobile, you can kind of get a sense for how they are, how healthy they are physically watching their defensive statistics and their speed. Um, so that's one thing that I will typically take a look at as a player gets into their mid, uh, early to mid-30s to get a sense for when decline might be coming. And then the other thing, is that you can learn a lot from how pitchers are attacking hitters. Yeah. So a lot of times if you see some kind of decline, uh, I'll even do this intra-season, take a look at the zone percentage and see how often pitchers are challenging that hitter. And if that number has gone up 3 5 7%, then you'll know that pitchers think that the, the bat is slower and they don't mind challenging the hitter, whereas before they would. And we'll look at, uh, for one of these examples, and I'm not calling it an age decline yet, but if you were so inclined, you could look at Nelson Cruz and start to see a little bit of, of, eh, not cracks, but but a little bit of splintering here. And just in the fact, in the last couple of years, his swinging strike rate has gone up, his chase rate has gone up, and that's usually the indicator of a guy who has to cheat a little bit on pitches. Yeah, I think that's definitely true with Cruz. And honestly, He's 41, so you know, yeah. a little bit of decline at some point is expected. He's still putting up great power numbers, but like you said, he has to kind of get that bat started just a little bit sooner. Posting in the highest chase numbers of his career in back-to-back seasons in 2020 and 2021, um, second and third highest swinging strike percentages of his entire career. So I think that the combination of the slightly slowing bat and the fact that he's really he's seen fewer strikes to hit uh, to swing at over the last three or four years as he's just continued to extend this late prime in his career. I think he's getting a little frustrated and, and he is starting to chase a little bit. How much longer could Nelson Cruz have anyway? Maybe he's got another year or two left in him, but I can't expect much more. It's there and you can see it, but it's not it's not, it doesn't look like a cliff so far. And no, no, it's pretty steady decline uh, from, I guess you'd call his peak age 34, but he had such a great year at age 38 in 2019 that he's really just maintained this level since 2008. But the last two seasons have seen, there there was a step up here and, you know, we've got his exit velocity going down. He was in the 93s since we've been scoring his 94s and 93s was 91.6 in 2020. And again, you can discount 2020 as much as you want, but then it becomes part of a trend. And by the way, what he saw in 2021 might have been the result of a, a truncated, weird season in 2020. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we haven't really determined how well hitters came back from that. Uh, certainly pitchers were affected by it long term uh, in terms of working up to a season again and going through a full season. Uh, 92.9 is exit velocity. So down a little bit, not not off the charts. In fact, still good numbers. 
but but showing a, a little bit of erosion a mile an hour from the from the prior four full seasons i think that's significant enough to make note of it yep and in 2020 the poll percentage went down to 34.6 now he's a 40 plus guy or he's been a 40 plus guy on this home run run since 2016 Mm-hmm. That's the six points of poll percentage. And that strikes me as a guy who's a little bit late to the ball, which almost explains what happened in 2021, where he decided he had to cheat a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And then you see the chase rate ticking up, ticking up. And I think that's exactly what's been happening is you just have a little bit less time to judge the hitability of the pitch. So you get that chase rate going up and you see a little deterioration in stats. So except for developing players, more often than not, when we're looking at an approach change, we're looking at power and we're trying to predict power and trying to see um, what we can see for the upcoming season. Home runs specifically are one of the more predictable stats on the board. Uh, Usually players can reproduce their home run totals because it's a skill set. And once you demonstrate a skill, you own the skill until that skill starts to erode or starts to change for whatever reason. Sometimes we can see it as a precursor to a young player starting to break out with power a little bit. In other words, all right, he's established. You can see he's getting a little more aggressive. You can see he's pulling the ball a little more. You can see he's lifting the ball a little more. That may pay off so you can look forward. And we tend to look at home runs as a block. And everyone looks at home runs when they go into the draft and go, God, there's plenty of them, right? And Mm -hmm. we stopped citing the number of 20 home run guys there were in the majors the last time. I think was 2019. There are 110 of them. So there's a bunch of them for every team out there. And everyone thinks home runs, are pow- uh, home runs are plentiful, and you can get them wherever you can in the draft. But what I don't think people realize is if you have 107 players hitting 20 home runs one year, 110 the next year, even 115 a year after that, yeah, those numbers are going up, but it's not the same players. There's a lot yeah. of turnover in that 20 home run range. So there are a lot of guys who are going to drop out of the 20 home run range. More importantly, there are going to be a lot of guys who are going to jump into the 20 home run range. And because people think homers are so so plentiful, a lot of these guys who are going to emerge as 20 home run hitters are going to be available at very cheap prices in the draft. Oh, yeah. Without question, especially if you're not looking to combine it with batting average. Right. You know, which is, you know, we have varying uh, biases about how we figure batting <laughs> average into this. <laughs> yes, we do. As well. But one of the things we try to do at Fantastics every year, yeah, yeah, home runs are are plentiful. But you know what? If you pick 321 hitters up in the reserve round or 320 hitters, uh, 20 home run hitters in in 20 rounds plus, you're still getting some profit margin there. And you're able to fill those other slots that you would take the 20 home run hitter, the known 20 home run hitter earlier. You're filling those with some productive players. So tapping into this and trying to find the guys who are going to be the next 20 home run hitters or even, you know, Jesse Winkler, Winkler last year. Oh, yeah. guy, you know, readily available, got for a cheap price, turned into a very good power source there. And that's, again, one of those are one of the changes you have to identify. No question. I mean, look, look at the, look at the first guy on our list. I thought his days of being on that 20 home run list were long over. Right. And yeah, and he pops up with 36 home runs last year. Unbelievable. <laughs> at first base, which is a, a position that we was previously plentiful but we have to find some guys late in the draft and first base gets scary after that first tier here so again finding these guys who are going to emerge you know that can that can really help you out especially if you get if you get phased out of the first base position yeah um i think we all of us that have played fantasy baseball for long enough remember first base being the king of positions. And it was just easy to find power, easy to find average and power from a lot of these guys. And first base has not been the strongest position in baseball for a while now. And I think that when you get a guy like Joe, we we need to look at Joey Votto and determine what's happening. I would have said two years ago that he was in, he was in pretty steep decline and that he'd probably be out of baseball by this year or next year. Yeah. But he made a massive change last year. Uh, boy, I think it requires a pretty deep look. Yeah, and I don't know, as I'm looking at it, none of the traditional uh, indicators that we look at and none of the traditional paths we take to try to figure this out really fit because basically the first thing I look at here, because remember with Joey Votto, we always wanted him to be more aggressive and we always wanted him to reach for a little bit more power. We thought he was too passive at the plate, too took too many walks. We want Joey Votto to put the ball in play. So when I'm looking at 
what might be it might have been a change of approach last year. Yes, he was more aggressive and you know a little bit more pull the last couple of years than he's done in the past. So he's reaching for power a little bit, but that it's the exit velocity. It's the ninety two point nine in exit velocity, which is so far above what we've seen out of him in the last few years. And I don't know how you gain exit velocity. I mean, especially as a 37-year-old, you're not doing it in the gym, right? <laughs> Look at the barrel percentage. Yeah. He almost yes. doubled it from his yeah. from his career average. And he was already a quality hitter. It's not like mm-hmm. he found something and, and uh, you know gained some confidence and all of a sudden became this great hitter. He already was a quality hitter. So I'm not trying – what's your explanation about where some of this stuff comes from? The barrel percentage jump and the exit velocity jump, how do we explain that? Well, I think it's simply look at the zone swing percentage. You know, that was the highest zone swing percentage he put up since 2010. Highest chase rate since 2011. Highest swing strike rate since 2007, his rookie season. He was just much, much more aggressive, particularly in the strike zone. And I think that that combined with by far the highest launch average or launch angle of his career. Right. You know, that that just resulted in some massively larger power numbers. And he was willing to accept more strikeouts for that, which he generally has not been in his career. So I think that Joey Votto just finally came to grips with the fact that, look, if I want to remain productive, I have to get rid of this extremely passive approach and go to just a sort of moderately passive approach because he's still, the chase rate is still under 25%, which is still very low. But he hit, he hit 36 homers in 2017, and his exit velocity was 87 and a half. Yep. And he, but he wasn't the same aggression. The swing strike percentage was only 5.7 percent. It was 11.5 last year, and I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's part of age decline as well. I don't know. But but he hit 36 homers. His launch angle was 14.4. It was 18.2 last year. At that point, all of that makes sense, except for the change in exit velocity and the change in barrel percentage, because obviously the change in exit velocity is where the barrel percentage came from. His low barrel percentages, his sub. 7% at times, certainly sub 10% barrel percentages came from a low exit velocity, right? You need a 95 mile an hour exit velocity. So is right. it just a matter he's going up and swinging harder? I think clearly that, that has to be what it is. And you can tell that pitchers are, are giving him respect that they haven't in uh, at levels in 10 years. You know, the zone percentage after creeping up into the 46, 47% range, which is generally reserved for uh, banjo hitting middle infielders, has been dropping, dropping, and then down to 41% in 2021, which is the lowest since 2012. Uh, he's clearly garnered respect again, but at age 38, can he sustain this? I just, I feel like it was just kind of one last career year for Votto, and now we'll probably get a little bit more of, uh, of a steady decline over the next couple of years. You wonder if this was a self-identity issue because he hit 326 in 2016, 320 in 2017, 284 in 2018, 261, 226. You wonder if he just said, screw it. I'm not that average hitter anymore. I don't need, I'm not going to hit 320. I'm not going to try to hit 320. I'm going to try to do something else with the ball at this point. I think that's a pretty good way to look at it. So again, we have to figure out what's going forward for him at this point. Again, once a player demonstrates a skill, he owns it. And we talked about all this additional aggression, but his swing strike percentage was still only 11.5%. His chase rate was still only 24.7%. He was aggressive and overly aggressive for him, wildly aggressive for him. But you know what? His numbers were still pretty good. They weren't too bad. I think that you're definitely – I mean, look at the K rates in his career – uh, the last, he's only put up, up above 20% K percentage in 2019 and last year. And last year was 24%, by far the highest in his career. So I think there clearly is some deterioration in general contact ability that we're seeing. But boy, I mean, it makes me wonder how many home runs could he have hit five, mm. 10 years ago with this sort of approach? Sure, the K numbers would have been higher. The averages wouldn't have been in the 320s and 330s. They probably would have been more like 290, 300. But still, I mean, he could have hit 50 or 60 homers if he was going to hit this way. And the only thing with a player of this, a veteran player of this skill set, the only thing you can attribute that 18.2 launch angle, highest in his career by far, 3% up from the previous two years, which were 15, which were previous career highs, is deliberate. Yeah. Oh, it has to be. This has been a considered change of approach. It has to be. And the pull percentage as well. I mean, he really is trying to put the ball into the seats now. And he never has in his career. Never. The home runs were almost just 
incidental to his his strength and his ability to to make contact uh, of a pretty solid variety. All right. So um, we talked about approach. That's basically what we talked about and trying to figure out how we deal with hitters and what we're looking for when we're looking on a year-to-year basis and what's going on with them, especially when we get an outlying performance. And you put this list together of players, and I was curious about how you um, how you characterize the list. So, so tell me, I know you don't have a theme for this list because that, that's what we talked about. There's no real theme <laughs> for this, but I think ridiculous was the word you used. Uh, ridiculous or just not, not really theme driven. It was sort of guys that surprised me one way or the other with power last year. Um, and I just thought that all of them were interesting enough names that they could warrant a little bit deeper analysis. Yeah. Which brings us to Kyle Tucker in his 30 home run season last year and 506 at bats. And he's a young player, just 24 years old. And he only had, uh, what, 320, 330 at bats, uh, coming into this season, pretty mm-hmm. nice breakout season for him. And it's almost, he almost, a lot of this looks like it's the opposite of what we were talking about. Well, it felt, I have Kyle Tucker just to, to be uh, frank with people. I have Kyle Tucker in every single league that I'm in, but one, <laughs> um, I love this kid. I've been waiting for this breakout for a while. I feel like Houston jerked him around a little bit uh, in 2019 and 2020, because when you look at his underlying numbers, there was a little more swing and miss than you would have expected given his minor league track record. But the kid was ready. He was clearly ready. And they just, he wasn't doing exactly what they wanted him to do. So they just kept pulling him out of the lineup, putting him back in, pulling him out of the lineup, moving him around. Uh, I think that this was coming and this probably if they had given him more time in 2019, this probably would have come sooner. But when we look at it and we're trying to explain this jump in home runs, we're not seeing more aggression. His swinging strike rate was down. His chase rate was down. We're not seeing more pull. In fact, his pull was down considerably from previous seasons. His previous few at-bats when he was when we didn't like that pull number, that might have been the thing Houston didn't like the most, by the way. Could be. Yeah, it could be. And, and Houston is not a park where a lefty you, you want pulling the ball a ton because those Crawford boxes on the other side are very reachable, even going oppo. Right. And his fly ball percentage, his fly ball percentage was, you know, it did go up a little bit from the previous season, but it this didn't look like a reach for power. This didn't look like the situation I described where you have a young player who finally feels comfortable in the lineup and gets to let loose a little bit. It almost looked like he zoned in a little bit more. To, he's almost more contact oriented. Well, the contact rate went way up to 82%, which for a guy that hits 30 home runs is phenomenal. And for a 25 year, well, 24 last year that hit 30 home runs is just beyond. (laughs) He really, it it was a terrific, terrific season. And by expected slugging percentage, he was shorted about 23 points of slugging (laughs) percentage. This kid could easily, within the next couple of years, put up a 300 average, a 600 slugging percentage, over 30 homers, 100 RBIs, and 15 to 20 steals. I mean, he's an absolute star. It almost looks it, it almost looks like you can expect a little bit more than those 30 homers. It almost looks like there's a little more power in here because there's a lot of lift. The launch angle is 17.6. Exit velocity is excellent, 91.4. And But again, a little bit more pull in his game a little bit and a little more concentration on power, although I don't want him to do it this year. I just want him to go out and do what he did last year. Right? Exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Don't think about it so much. You're only 20, you'd be age 25 season. You're only at 846 major league at bats. Just keep doing what you're doing. Everything's fine. And he's the type of player, instead of reaching for power, he's got to understand that he can just hit the ball and the power will come. Exactly. Yeah, that's part he of the game. He has enough exit velo on his own and his launch angle is basically perfect. Yeah. So hopefully this 30 run, 30 home run season will suppress his urge to reach for power a little bit more and add a little bit more lift and pull to his game because all he should do next year is do exactly this year is do exactly what he did last year. Yep. I completely agree. All right. Manny Machado, um, out in San Diego. Let's see what we've got here. 28 homers last year, 278. And, uh, again, he's the guy that, uh, I'm not seeing much change in terms of his plate approach here. No, I, I threw Machado in here because I am absolutely enamored with him. And I feel, and I've felt for five or six years, that there's another level that he could get to. You know, he's just, he's an immensely talented hitter, very solid contact, speed and defense have maintained themselves at, at very solid levels. He's 29 years old this year. Um, he's extremely healthy, 
one of those guys that he has pl- he has not missed more than six. Uh, actually, last year he missed nine games. It's the most he's missed since 2014. He's just he's always in the lineup. He's always producing. And last year, best exit velocity and barrel percentages of his career, 93 and 13.3 respectively, which, again, by expected slugging via StatCast, would have expected to see a slugging percentage of about 530 instead of the 489 that we got. So I really feel like there's more here. Machado's one of those guys that I'll be targeting this year. I think that that bump in exit velocity with a maintained solid launch angle, increased barrel percentage, I feel like there's more here. Yeah, the exit velocity is very encouraging, and I don't want to see an approach change here. Everything's fine the way he's doing it. He was a little bit unlucky on homer to fly ball, 14.6%. All the numbers say he can sustain a couple points more than that, which is going to get him in the mid to high 30s. Yep, with a solid batting average because he does make contact at a good rate, and he's kicking in you know, around 10 steals a year, too, at third base. That's excellent. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking through here, seeing if I can pick any holes in them, and I can't. It all looks very solid, and it all looks very consistent, which is great. It was even consistent through the 2020 season. Looked just like a regular season for him at this point, so I don't see any decline. I don't see any reason to worry. The only thing I see here is he was a little bit unlucky with Homer in the fly ball last year, and that may pay off this year. I think so. I He is one of those people that I'm definitely going to be targeting this year. All right. Is this Brian Reynolds on the list here with his 24 it, home runs and 302 batting average? It is. I think people had a tendency to, to overlook Brian Reynolds for a good part of last year because that partial season of 2020 that we're mo- both of us willing to ignore for the most part uh, was abysmal. It was just really bad. And everybody then thought, well, I mean, 2019 must have been a fluke then because he didn't really show that kind of performance uh, capability in the minor leagues. He was good, uh, but not great. And that kind of power wasn't really evident to, to any extent. So yeah, we, we, we'll, we'll expect a guy that can hit for average, but not a ton of power. And then all of a sudden he comes out last year with 67 extra base hits, very similar to 2019, but with the increased launch angle and barrel percentage that he showed in his age 26 season, fewer doubles, more home runs. So I don't see anything that isn't warranted in his performance from last year. He looked like a guy, like you say, Became a little more confident uh, in Pittsburgh. Obviously, your lineup spot is pretty secure if you can actually hit the ball. So uh, he's good to go. And I feel like, you know, 30 home runs might be a stretch, but he might be able to approach it. And his contact ability is so good that he has hit 300 or 302 is his lowest average in a non-COVID season in his pro career, Mm -hmm. minors, majors. This looks like he pretty much is what he is at this point. There might be a little bit more out there, but I'm a little leery of the sub-90 exit velocity here. His launch angle's fine. He did this, by the way, getting a little bit better at plate discipline, too. Swinging strike percentage was down. Chase rate was down. Um, contact percentage jumped up a little bit, so he became a little bit better, a little bit more experienced hitter. And he's a guy, another guy, we talked about Kyle Tucker, and I don't want to put him on the same shelf with Kyle Tucker because Kyle Tucker can rely on his power. He can just hit the ball. Home runs are going to happen. I'm not sure that's the case with Brian Reynolds. He's got a little bit less margin for error with it, but I think that's what he should be concentrating on this point is just do what you're doing, hit the ball, take your twenty, your mid-20s and homers, and you know if you get lucky on home run to fly ball percentage or you, know, you get into a little streak there, you might get into the uh, mid to high 20s, but uh, I, I don't feel bad going back for the 2021 season. I'm willing to pay for that because I think he can reproduce it pretty accurately. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I think that where you look at Kyle Tucker, he's obviously a better player. He's two years younger and he has more power and more speed. But Reynolds' contact ability is probably slightly better. So maybe an extra 10 points in batting average. And whereas Tucker is probably a 35 to 40 homer guy in his prime. Reynolds is probably more like a 25 homer guy in his prime, which is, you know, he hit 24 last year. Uh, But what's wrong with a guy that hits 300 to 310 with 25 homers? Nothing, nothing at all. All right. How about a guy who hit uh, no homers in 2018, no homers in 2020, granted only 23 at bats, but came up with 31 homers last year. And oh, by the way, stole 16 bases. Who's that? Adolis Garcia. (laughs) Adolis Garcia. Um, I actually had Avisale on, on the list, but we can talk about both of them because Adolis Garcia is a really interesting case from last year. I did not expect him to be able to hit enough as far as contact ability to get to that raw that he's got, that the massive raw power. Um, you know, the, the exit velocity was very, very good. 
91 miles an hour. Anytime you're up above 90, you're well above average. And the launch angle, obviously, he is a, he's a launch angle guy, 15 degrees. So all of that is fine. He's a big fly ball pull guy. So the batting average is suspect to begin with. And then you bring in the contact rate where he's a sub 70% guy that becomes problematic. And he's a 40% chase guy. So I really feel like Garcia is rather risky because I think even at, even if you're looking for a 240 to 250 batting average, that might be a tall ask for him. But the power speed combo is so enticing. I don't mind taking a shot at him late in the game. I just don't know that I will pay as much as his biggest fans will. He had a 306 BABIP here, which produced that 243 batting average. If that slips at all, now we're looking at a 220 guy, a 230 guy, and that makes him, first of all, sucks into your batting average a little bit, but it also makes his playing time a little suspect, and that's the big problem with him. If he gets the 581 at-bats he got last year, he's going to return 30-plus homers, or he's going to return 29, 28, 29, 30, 31 homers, just like he did. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I'd pay for 580 at-bats again for a number of different reasons, one of which is 580 at-bats, well, first of all, this year, who knows how many at-bats anybody's getting, well, right. but, but just working on the sk- the original 162-game scale, 581 at-bats for anybody, I mean, a DL stint takes you out of that, right? It, it, yes. So it's really easy to miss out on that 581 at-bat number. So if he gets closer to 530, he gets closer to 520, he's a different player at this point. And if you paid for 2021 value and 580 at-bats and you only get 530, you're going to end up losing on that deal. Yeah, you definitely are. And one of the issues that we don't talk about a ton, but we really need to keep in mind, are general team characteristics and team feeling as far as where are they in the competitive lifespan of their team. And Texas last year, we're trying out a lot of young players. Garcia took the spot from Leody Tavares early in the season, never relinquished it because he started out hot and stayed good enough. So now you look at what Texas has done this offseason. They're clearly feeling that they're ready to go for it. Picking up John Gray and Corey Seager and Marcus Semien, they're ready to try to compete for the playoffs. So if you had the opposite situation happen this year, where Adolis Garcia starts out cold and Leody Tavares comes in and, and, and opens up hot, mm-hmm. and then you've got Nick Solak and both the Calhouns around, Andy Abanez can hit, I could easily see him losing playing time with one of those horrific slumps that he goes through because of the poor contact ability. So I, there is a lot of risk with Adolis Garcia this year. It's probably not a risk that I'm going to accept very much. All right, let's look at Avisal Garcia because he fits the criteria we're talking about here. Hey, look, more chase, more swing, more aggressive swing, more pull. Uh, You know, he's a guy who reached for power a little bit last year. It's kind of subtle, but it's in there. Yeah, it definitely is. And and Avisal Garcia, rather, is one of those guys that I never, ever have him on my teams because he has no idea what a strike is. He just swings at everything. Uh, his swing percentages for his entire career, with a few exceptions, have been between 55 and 60%. That is extremely rare. I mean, hardly anyone swings at that level and is able to be productive. So Garcia, you know, he's a 10-year major league guy at this point, easily the highest ISO of his career. 29 homers. Milwaukee's a nice park to hit in, sure, but he definitely was reaching for power last year. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, best exit velocity of his career – best barrel percentage, and he's put up three barrel percentages over 10%, which is a very good number in the past three full seasons. So I would be interested in Avisel Garcia to a point with what I've seen over the past couple of years. However, he left Milwaukee and signed with Miami, yeah, the place where home runs go to die. <laughs> so I don't feel like his approach is going to be very well suited to that team or to that ballpark at all. So Avisel Garcia, for me, even though he has made strides to become a very productive major league hitter over the last four years, I'm just not interested in Miami. Secondary to your key numbers, which are his plate discipline and his susceptibility to just swing at everything and be worked over by pitchers, is that 26.1% homer to fly ball percentage, which (laughs) I wouldn't have bet on him to repeat in Milwaukee this year. He's certainly not going to do it in Miami. And yeah, I know he put up a season with 21% homer to fly ball, but that's you just take that back down to 17%, which is his career average at this point. And all of a sudden you're talking about low twenties and homers, assuming he gets 500 plus at bats, low 20 and homers. And at that point, he's just another guy. 
And exactly. You steal some bases on top of it, but he's just another guy, but he's just another guy. And all the, all the Jags have some risk, but he's a Jag with a quite a bit amount of risk. Yeah. I mean, he's on the wrong side of 30 and he's going to a, a much worse offensive environment, both from a team standpoint and from a ballpark standpoint. And if, if he's going to put a mediocre to slightly below average batting average, probably below average counting stats because the team is, is pretty bad offensively and the power is likely to drop off. None of that is good. So almost all of the risk with Garcia is on the downside. It's just not something I want to accept. All right. Brandon Lowe hit 39 homers last year. Explain it to me. Uh, I, I really can't. I mean, 30, <laughs> 39 is kind of, that is like absolute ceiling for a guy with exit velocity sub 90 and dropping over the last few years. Yeah, It's pretty much just massive launch angle and pull induced from Brandon Lowe. He really just swings hard for him and tries to hit homers all the time. His swing percentage is over 50%. Contact rate sub 70. Yes, he is going to hit homers just by the nature of how he plays the game. And he will draw walks. He knows what a strike and what a ball is. But his contact ability on its own is not great. And I feel like that's going to end up being his career high in homers last season. And again, 535 at-bats, 24% homer to fly ball. Now, he's shown a history of 20-plus percent homer to fly balls. He pulls a lot. He has a lot of lift on the ball. Uh, I I want to say it's kind of luck because these this season didn't look pre- appreciably different than 2019 and 2020 in terms of his approach profile. But 39 homers went out. I mean, it's not just a matter of at-bats. I mean, he hit 17 and 300 homers, uh, 300 at-bats, 296 in mm-hmm. 2019. So the power is there. But yeah, that's going to be, everything went right for him this year. He's been a consistent kind of 30 to 35 home run pace sort of a hitter. So getting up around 40, that's that's likely the ceiling. Um, and a lot of things went right for him last year. But I, I really just think that what you see out of Brandon Lowe, that's just what you're going to get. He, he hits the ball in the air. Some of them are going to go out. He swings and misses a decent amount. So I think last year's batting average of 247 is probably a little bit more likely to be uh, – consistent for him than the two seventies he put up the, the two years prior. Um, especially since it looks like he's selling out more and more for power as time goes by. Yeah. I'm trying to see whether there were any changes of approach there that led to those, that 269 in 2020 and the 270 in 2019, but nope. swung a lot, chased a lot. 2020 looked different, but it was 2020. So I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to pay too much attention to that. No, no, I wouldn't. And, you know, just I think the the higher line drive rates in 2019 and 2020 were probably the key. Um, you know, a few more ground balls, few, fewer line drives in 2021, dropped the average a bit. Plus, you know, I think the pull percentage went up, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, now 43% to 45% all three years. So he's pretty consistent in fly ball pull. And usually that lends itself to sub 300 BABIPs. He had the 377 BABIP in 2019. That's ludicrous and was not going to be repeated. Um, the 280 2021 is probably a little more his speed with his style of hitting. Is the Crawford on the list, Brandon Crawford, with his 24 home runs last year? It definitely is Brandon Crawford. And uh, Brandon Crawford might be one of the most interesting stories of last season to me. Um, because, you know, he's he's a 35-year-old guy. Generally, at that point, you're talking decline. Um, bad home park. It's yeah. never, been, never been much of an offensive player at all. He's just a great defender. And he hits enough for the Giants to justify having him be their starting shortstop for the last like 12 years. So Crawford, all of a sudden, I mean, this is across the board in everything except plate discipline and contact rate. Everything else had a massive resurgence, speed, defense, power, everything, everything. And then the BABIP went up too, probably just because he was hitting the ball harder in general, the barrel percentage after years of sitting in the three to five percent range, went to nine and a half in the in the COVID season, then eleven and a half last year. He's never come anywhere close to that. So that allowed his below average, frankly, exit velocity to play up. And I think obviously that's a sort of career year for Brandon Crawford, but these approach changes are enough to give him continued value, I think, even as he goes into his mid-30s. What gives me confidence that that can be maintained at the fact that the speed and the defense numbers rebounded last year, which means physically he's doing great. I, I'm going to be cynical again. Sure. Contract here. 
<laughs> I mean, it was a contract here. He said you get a nice payday for her to get two years at $32 million after that. And just this is the vitality. This is the little adrenaline rush of a contact year, contract year, I think. And that's going to catch your att- a contract year is going to catch your attention at 34 years old. Right. Yes. Boy, I, everything went up. Everything was better. It wasn't just that he was reaching for power and hit hit for more power or anything like that. Every single aspect of his game, except his contact ability, improved. Well, he got more, so, he got a little more aggressive. He got a little more launch angle in there, and he made the most of it with a you know fifteen percent homer to fly ball percentage with a sub ninety exit velocity. That's why I'm not putting too much stock into it because again, if you're sub ninety and he's eighty eight eighty, he's sub eighty nine. Mm-hmm. With that kind of exit velocity, your margin for error is really low, and your volatility in terms of your output for home runs is going to be something you want to – in other words, you don't pay for the 24 homers. You pay for 17 or 18 again, don't you? Well, I think you pay, you pay for 15 to 20 um, is what I think. But you know, with, with the way that he changed his approach, I mean, the launch angle was the highest of his career, and that – obviously was a better fit for him because as he's increased his launch angle in 2020 and 2021, the barrel percentages have gone up significantly without any corresponding increase in strikeouts in 2021. So I really feel like this is repeatable. You're the park effects guy. I always go to you mm-hmm. on park effects guy. How does this, how does this guy figure in San Francisco and in the American, in the national league West? A guy Not with a sub 89 well. exit velocity playing in Dodger stadium, uh, you know, playing playing in his home park in San Francisco, uh, playing in Phoenix, by the way, as, as much as he did. How does this work? I don't understand how this works. I don't know. I mean, obviously, those are two of the three worst ballparks for home runs in the majors, Chase Field and Oracle. Yep. So I, it's pretty stunning, really, because uh, the pull percentage didn't increase. So, yes, I mean, for a left-handed hitter in, uh, in Oracle, it, it's – only Barry Bonds has successfully been able to consistently beat it. But, boy, I, I, it's if you can do it in Oracle, it's got to be real, right? Right. And he doesn't pull a lot. He didn't pull a lot last year, only 36.8%. And so, but that 88.8% exit velocity doesn't suggest to me oppo power, right? <laughs> no, but the barrel percentage of 11.5 means that he's hitting enough of them 95 plus in that sweet spot. One out of nine is is pretty good. So let's see, 70, 80%. No, still, I was just adding, because I don't have line drive percentage on my dashboard. I was adding a fly ball and ground ball together. He's only 19. Only 19. Line drive. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the, the fly ball percentage was the, the only one he's had uh, close to that was in, what, 2014? Yeah. Yeah, and that was the year he hit 10 triples, which... Usually that's what happens in Oracle. Like you hit a mess of triples if you hit the ball in the air into the gaps, which he's not a pole guy. So that's what happens. But last year he had a lot of them out. All right. Let's go to Camden Yards. Speaking of park effects, because things are changing in Camden Yards, but we got Ryan Mountcastle who produced 33 homers in his 534 at bats last year. Yeah. And Mountcastle, unlike a few of the other guys, like maybe Austin Hayes, um, I don't think Mountcastle will be too awfully affected by this uh by the the left field fence moving back um because he's not really a pull guy his pull percentage was less than 40 so i feel like mount castle and his, his 30 homers um it's just mostly launch angle and barrel rate increase so uh, you know up the barrel percentage went from seven to almost 12 yeah so pretty well, there's improvement across the board i mean oh, he, absolutely. Just, he just started to look more comfortable as a hitter well, again, you know, you talk about this very frequently that you know, we give guys consistent playing time where they're not yeah. looking over their shoulder, which the year before he only played 35 games and, you know, was kind of in and out of the lineup, sat against some tough righties, had, had an injury issue. Uh, last year, he was just in the lineup and batting in the middle of the lineup. So he was pretty confident. Um, you, you saw gains pretty much across the board. You know, he doesn't have great plate discipline, but his ability to make contact on its own is just good enough. He's in the low seventies for both seasons that he's played at the major league level. It's just good enough so that his K rates aren't going to be prohibitive to having a pretty decent batting average. Um, But he's not a huge pull guy. And I think that's critical with this. This fence move is going to affect any right-handed pull hitter pretty significantly. It was a big move. 
as the Orioles try to do whatever they can to help their beleaguered pitching staff. But I wouldn't mind them seeing him pull a little more. I think there's more development here. That 89, uh, ex, 89.1 exit velocity, I think it belies. I think there's more exit velocity in there. The barrel percentage tells me this, so because he's capable of hitting the ball above 95 miles an hour. So it's there. It's just going to be a matter of consistency and getting tuned in for him. And poor percentage, yeah, Camden Yards, that's going to change and things like that. But he doesn't have a ton of oppo power either. So it depends on what you want him to be. And at this point where he hit 255 last year, and we're looking at him as a, he'll be a little bit better than league average hitter. He'll be in the 260s. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't see many 270 plus seasons out of him. Do you? Well, when you look at his full minor league seasons, the batting averages were 281, 314, 297, and 312. I think that the ability is there. That 312 was a triple A in 127 games with 25 homers. So I I do actually think that he could get up into the 270, 280 range ultimately. I mean, let's keep in mind, this guy has 725 plate appearances at the major league level. Yeah, He's just turning 25. So I do think that there's a little more development here. Um, you know, could he get to be a 275, 40 homer guy? I mean, if you squint, maybe that could be the peak. <laughs> He is 40 homer adjacent. Uh, it's, I, I think it's possible. <laughs> well, that I, I think there's a lot of growth here because I look at the 16% swinging strike percentage. I look at the 40% chase rate and I look at that 89-1 with the barrel percentage that's there. I just think we're four or 500 at bats from this guy tuning in a little bit. And I'm not sure it's going to be a batting average guy. I think he's going to be more of a power guy. I think he's going to be mm-hmm. a 30, you know, low 30s type of home run type of home run guy, which is going to make him valuable. Yeah. Well, with a median average, I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy that gives you a hurting average. No, no. League average, maybe a little yeah. bit better. Maybe a little better. Yep. I wouldn't look at him as a drain. No. And I think as like people for years have looked at Baltimore as sort of this offensive wasteland, um, but they've got some guys coming up now. I feel like this is going to be, you know, as Mountcastle gets into his prime, age 27, 28, by maybe the 2024, 25 seasons, I think he could be a force offensively. Does he repeat 2021? In other words, if you pay for 2021, are you going to get your money back? I think so. I do. I mean, you may lose, he may lose two to four homers from the fence move, but Usually guys get one more kind of strength boost as they hit 25, 26, 27. So maybe that could offset because, you know, we're sitting here looking at that exit velocity saying that doesn't really seem right based on what we know of Mm -hmm. Ryan Mountcastle. So I think you could see some offset there between a couple loss to the fence and a couple gain to more exit velocity. I'll be interested to see where his launch angle lands too this year because it was quite a spread over the first two years of his career. And you know, the 2021 16.3 is high. I expect that to come down a little bit. If that does come down a little bit and we get a little bit, a few more barrels out of him, that's where I think your batting average is going to click in yeah. uh, like you think it's going to click in. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. He has been a little fortunate on Babbitt uh, over both years of his career, uh, particularly though in 2020. So I, I I think your your median batting average comment is probably what's going to play out ultimately for him. Well, he hit more balls on the ground in 2022, 43.9% ground ball percentage and only a 31%, uh, 31.6% pull percentage. So yes. that's the formula of Babbitt, right? Hit the ball on the ground and don't pull everything. Yeah, well, line drives, not fly balls, and don't pull everything like you said, definitely. All right. Give me the over-under and home run total for Ryan Mountcastle this year because we're going to pay for him this year. 30? 30. You're willing to pay for 30? I, I would pay for 30. All right. Head on over to insideofbaseball.com. It's free to non-subscribers. You can get back issues of this podcast there and uh, find discussion on some more indicators of starting pitching, hitting. We did a stolen, uh, Brandon and I did a stolen base uh, podcast that I think you're going to love to check that out while you're over at insideofbaseball.com. Check out the baseball blog and the samples of our daily notes from last year and analytics articles. You're going to find a lot to occupy yourself during the lockout and during the uh, delayed spring training here. Free demo of our draft advisory program. Never too early to prep the uh, demo. The free demo is a full demo. It fully functional and it has a lot of our first uh, projections of the year for the top players enough so that you can put your league parameters in and see how it changes rankings at the top of the draft. And you can see how big an effect some of the uh, things in your league. They're a little bit different, whether they be roster related or column related. Uh, You can check those out. Uh, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports for us on the Fantastics Insider Baseball Show on Saturdays and Sundays from 11 to 1. 
Skyler, thanks so much. We'll see you next time. It's the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Oh, yeah. Let's go.